0: This is Growing Your Successful Business, the podcast for you, the entrepreneur, to learn valuable lessons from the experiences of fellow business owners sharing the secrets of their success and the critical lessons they have learned along the way, as well as experts giving their advice on how to navigate the pitfalls in their industry to help you better run your business. Here is your host, Brian Harding.
1: Hey now, and good day. Thanks again for stopping by to check out our podcast, uh, Growing Your, S- Your Successful Business. And uh, I'll remind you once again, as I do every week, don't be afraid to share this with a friend and an associate. Subscribe, share, rate, and review, all that fun stuff. You can reach me also at uh, growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com. You can find all the different uh, listening platforms we have on there. If you want to listen to the podcast in a different way, if you want to listen to it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, RadioCast, Overcast. The list goes on and on and on. You can also shoot me an email at brian at brianlharding.com. And today I'm super excited. I got Devin Craig with me. Uh, He's with Craig Consulting Group. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about culture today, which is kind of an ominous term out there. And it's one of those things that's thrown out there. The word culture is used probably 6,000% more today than it was 15 years ago. But I don't know that people really even have an understanding what it means. So let me introduce Devin and we'll get to it. Uh, Devin's on a mission to help organizations and the people within them flourish, specifically by building some awesome workplace cultures through honing clarity, building super people managers, and highly cohesive teams. He is the author of a book called Super Manager, How to Unlock People and Organizational Performance and Potential Through Great People Leadership. Devin got his master's degree in organizational leadership from Gonzaga and a bachelor's in uh, political science from the UW. He has been a, manage, a people manager at various levels in a wide variety of size and type organizations ranging from Fortune 500s to small independently owned franchise and even the military. Devin's approach to teaching, training, coaching, consulting, and leading can best be described as simple, fun, and effective. He's helped thousands of people become better managers, succeed as new and experienced managers, build more high-performing teams and awesome work cultures, and enjoy their work more in advance in their lives and careers. He's worked in a variety of uh, industries and companies to include the military, private sector, service industry, retail, food, financial industry, and nonprofits. Most importantly, though, Devin is a husband to his wife, Brittany, and is the father of two awesome boys, J.C. and Luke, and they live in Auburn, Washington. You can reach him at the Craig Consulting Group at 206-450-0501 or at GroupCCG.com. So, Devin, Welcome.
0: Thanks, Brian. That's Appreciate quite it.
1: a quite an intro you got there, man.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for reading all that. So, uh,
1: um, tell me, what got you into this particular topic? Why, why, why is culture something that you're gravitating towards?
0: Yeah, you know what? Uh, a story I like to share is um, early on in my days as a people manager, I um, had this uh, situation, this scenario where uh, I had to let someone go. Right, we've all had to do this as people managers. Yep. And I uh, was in a room with them. It was a a blank, boring, cold conference room, just me and this other person sitting in the room. And uh, the energy was very tense. We both knew what was gonna happen. Very anxious, my heart was fluttering. I had to let people go before, but it was for more black and white things like theft
1: or something like
0: that, you know? But this was different. This was about competence and ability and attitude. And so anyways, um, I finally got up the courage to say, I'm sorry, we gotta let you go. And the response that I got, I was not expecting. um, the person jumped up from the the table, Uh, their chair flung back behind them. They started screaming in my face. Nice. Pounded on the table, ran out of the room, yelling and screaming all the way out, making a massive scene in front of employees and people alike. And I was just mortified and just, yeah, beside myself. They finally, finally left. And uh, sometime after, I just, I reflected on that experience in the moment, um, and I think that was the pivot point where I, f- I started to finally say to myself, like, that obviously wasn't fun for either of us, um, so how could I do that differently? Right. And I, that started me on a journey to learn more about leadership, what kind of a leader I wanted to be, uh, leadership in general. And uh, I just kind of went on this, like, uh, journey and continued to be on this journey to learn about what that, that stuff is. Well, I think what I realized at that time was, is that a lot, that culture was in play in that moment. And the reason I say that is because in that moment, I realized that uh, all of my my attitude and thoughts about that, how I approached that situation was all shaped by what I was trained to do, um, all the organizations that came before that, the leaders that had mentored me. And this was kind of, I followed it to the book by, I mean, to the T of right. what exactly I was trained to do. And it still didn't sit well with me, right. you know, how that approach happened. And so as I evolved that, um, my approach to leadership, I had to go through other scenarios like that in the future or, you know, beyond that time. And they went much differently, much better. Because right. what I realized I didn't do at that moment was like build rapport, build relationship, understand what's going on with that person. And so I finally got did a better job of that. Even if it was a little bit different than the organizational context, I got more clear with what I needed to do. And um anyway, so that that's kind of sparked that journey and so went to get my master's degree in it and started a business and the more I learned about uh, leadership and teamwork and things like that, I started to get more fascinated by this topic. So that's when I started the business in training and consulting on leadership and teamwork and clarity. And the more I learned, the more frustrated I got with the environments that I was in because right. my bar was going up. And uh so I got increasingly frustrated with some of the incompetent leaders and I was them at times. I was sure. that person at times. Yeah. Um, I was the jerk and then I was working for other jerks and I don't know I just had so, experienced so much pain at, at work you know in, in relation to bosses and n- not being part of functional teams you know and I was just so used to dysfunctional teams right. and learning what they should look like and I was getting frustrated with that and I'm like oh my gosh you know I was getting passed over promotion at different intervals in my career because I kept thinking very differently than everybody else and so I just got kind of fed up with it and it started going on my own journey here and uh so yes i uh, wrote the book built the super manager academy which is the the best leadership training that i've been able to come across the uh, obviously i'm kind of biased but right um <laughs> but it's better than what i've experienced at least you sure. know what i mean in different places that i've been um so yeah i got to build all these cool things now i get to help leaders um build great leaders and teams and cultures within the organizations, I bu- built a um, survey that helps them put some measurement to their culture that actually measures the three things that I believe are the foundations of culture, teams, leaders, and clarity. Yep. And so, um, yeah, now it's incredibly rewarding work because my hope, like you, you already shared my mission, my, my personal mission is to help people and organizations thrive together, which I know is very, very doable, but it's not how we typically have looked at business or organizational life up to this point. And my hope is that my, my two boys, we're three and one now, so I've got about 15, 17 years respectively to work on this, is I want them to step into a working world that it feels very different than what I've felt and experienced, right. uh, what my wife has felt and experienced, and what the grand majority of people have experienced from work. Like we think it's like this life penance or something, you know, and it doesn't have to be that necessarily for most people, but all the statistics so, say that.
1: So for um, most of us who have been managers of any for any length of time, you know, over a year, probably for most most folks, you've had to deal with that uncomfortable situation, whether you're firing somebody or suspending somebody, or just you know verbal counseling or written documentation. There's all mm-hmm. all those kind of varieties of things, and they've historically not been very pleasant things to do. Mm-hmm. But you know, fifteen twenty years ago, it was just the ugly part of the job, and nobody really put a lot of effort into thinking about how or why it should be different, exactly. or, or if it should even you know even if it if it should be different. Um, and now this is something that's kind of more and more of a more of a topic, and I, I I'm thinking that probably people who are listening, a good portion of them would automatically assume we're talking about millennials, and right. and and this maybe some of the stuff does maybe um, benefit a millennial for, uh, workforce more than others, mm-hmm. but in my mind this is not a millennial thing. This isn't like we have to adapt. To a new new generation of people, this is stuff we should have, or some of us have been working on for many years, Mm -hmm. and should have been if we weren't. Um, But I think this is kind of a foreign this this idea of culture. It's kind of the the timing of it coming into being prevalent in our you know uh, in the zeitgeist out there is kind of parallels the time that we're hearing about millennials all the time. I think people kind of conflate the two, and I don't think that's necessarily accurate. I totally agree. Um, so that's a long-winded way of saying, for those of you listening who are saying, this doesn't apply to me, I don't care what millennials think, I would caution you just to to, to take a moment and just take this in, because there's really no downside if you invest in this kind of stuff. Right. Um, it doesn't matter if you have an employee that's, you know, 63 years old, mm-hmm. they're going to get benefits from the kind of stuff we're going to talk about here. So. Yep. Exactly. Um, now that we've talked about you know, culture and all that kind of stuff, just for folks who are not really sure, who are in that crowd of folks who hear this word all the time, don't really know what it means. What is culture? What are you talking about?
0: So the technical definition, I guess, uh, which I don't specifically like to use all the time, but I guess the technical definition is the attitudes, beliefs, and actions of a group of people. Together in some kind of an organization or something like right. that, right? Or just and a
1: group of people. It doesn't, yeah, exactly. doesn't have to be a business. It could be a church. It could be a school. It could be a household. It mm-hmm. could be whatever.
0: It is all those things. Anywhere where a bunch of people get together, yep. there tends to be kind of a something that shapes yeah. how they all think and act together, right? Because we're very social beings, so we pick up cues on right. each other and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's the technical definition. Uh, the definition I like to use is the relationship that people have. With their organization, right? With a group of other people, right? With that, um, and when you phrase it that way, there's a lot of things that go into that too. But it's a little more simple of a definition, at least for me. That's how right. I
1: define it. So again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna part of part of my my role here today is going to be playing the devil's advocate and and portraying the person who I can envision, uh, and I won't name any names because I know like 100 people like this. Um, but the people who are going to sit back and go this is all bullshit. They should just come to work and do their job. Mm-hmm. Why do I need to pander to them? Why do I need to worry about their feelings? All, you know, all this kind of stuff that I, I know people are going to be saying as they're listening to this. Yeah. I'm going to be throwing out things Kind of representing that group, even mm-hmm. though I don't necessarily buy into those things. So, yeah. just I'm pre- preparing you that I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a curmer- curmudgeon.
0: No, 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 <laughs> I don't believe that. Yeah, no, but I hope you do because yeah, I want to be able to address yeah. some of that because so, it's still out there. You
1: know? So, answer that part. So, if I'm if I'm a, a, a person who came along and you know I'm X amount of years in business and I have X amount of employees and my mentality is, they get a paycheck, come to work, I expect you to do a good job. If you can't handle that, you work somewhere else. Mm-hmm. What What's in it for somebody like that to listen to what we're going to talk about?
0: 765% better business results. What? Yep. 765% better business results. Okay. How do you get that number? Harvard Business Review study about 10 or 15 years ago. They did a study between companies and organizations who were intentional, cohesive, and congruent with their cultures versus ones who were downright toxic, um, terrible, like in relation to culture. And then there was the ones in between the ones that like knew it was there. And they're at least like they were nice people. And it was kind of, um, organically okay or whatever right right? but the difference between the really intentional really thorough um uh organizational cultures and the really terrible ones 765 percent difference over a 10-year study
1: can you give us a a a quick understanding of who was 765 percent better who so uh, like what kind of culture was at the bottom of that list and what kind of culture was at the top of that list
0: so toxic meaning like ones where um People are at each other's throat. There's not a sense of safety internally in the organization. There's no yeah. innovation, no no
1: initiative. So I worked at a place where the owner had a. I never saw this personally, but the owner had a a. Uh, um Reputation for throwing chairs when he
0: was pissed. there. You go, that's a perfect example of a toxic <laughs> behavior, definitely. right? Right, right, right. Yeah, because then what do people do in that environment? Don't speak up, yeah, don't, don't say anything, up, don't right. say anything wrong. Yep. Like if stuff's gonna hit the fan, just let it, yeah. You know what it mean? then it's gonna be you're gonna be in trouble either way, right? So who the hell cares? You right, know? turnover, um, so much goes into that, right? Versus the other ones, there's there's like a level of nicety, I guess, you know, like professionalism, things like that. But it also comes down to, like like I said, intentionality is the key word here. So they say that this is what they believe and then they actually live up to that, right? right. Values values don't just live on the wall. They also live like in people's actions and in how they talk and how they... Cooperate together, how they get things done, and leaders are more mentors than drivers and dictators, and yeah. and even controllers. Even a even a nice micromanager is still a micr- micromanager, right? right? Um, so they're cause they're more empowering and things like that. So there was like there's basic characteristics, even though stylistically really great organizational culture type environments will stylistically look and feel a little bit different from one to one but there are those basic core tenants like the three cores of culture. I talk about leaders, teams, and, right. and clarity, the basic tenants of how those things need to be approached are all similar. And that's basically what the HBR study found was like, it's those basic foundational structures got to be a little like aligned, congruent, and like thought about. Right. There were like some intentionality. So
1: there. before we move into the specifics and strategies and things like that, you're going to talk about, um, for the, the person I knew who, who threw the chair, and in a different company, there was a guy who he would throw his glasses, he, whatever was on his desk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he would throw things when he would tantrum. And here's a you know, 64 and a half year old man throwing a temper tantrum when something mm-hmm. didn't go right. Mm-hmm. but he was the leader of the organization, right? and, uh, um, and I've worked for other, other people. Uh, I, I, you know I'm sure everybody has the same kind of perspective, but I have worked for some of the worst human beings I've ever worked I've ever met in my life yeah. And they were often the boss, mm-hmm. and for those people specifically, as I think back of these individual people who believed that they knew the right answer, they knew what was right. If everybody just did what they wanted, yeah. the world would be a better place. <laughs> those are the least likely people to want to listen to what we're going to talk about here. Yes. So, do you have a quick self-assessment for folks on if you need to tune into this or if you're doing pretty well? You know, and I'm not I'm not really sure how to phrase that. Uh, again, I believe that the folks who most need to hear this are the ones who would never either uh, uh, even recognize that this conversation is happening mm-hmm. or acknowledge that they need to to bend a little bit. Yeah.
0: I don't typically try to preach to the non-believers. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is more for, I mean, I hope they do come around, but let's, sure. so let me ask you this. Like were those organizations, which you consider highly, highly successful?
1: Uh, for a period. Okay. So none of those I look back on now were highly successful for a prolonged period of time. There you go. So yeah. I think much like um, all things that go along with a big ego driving something, mm-hmm. you can achieve results yeah. for a short amount of time. I do sure. believe that. Yeah. I believe that long term, though, that that's not sustainable. And right. in the, the four or five things, I'm, the people I'm thinking off the top of my, off the top of my head, um, they would be further proof of that, that you can heat, hit peaks, mm-hmm. but you can't hit a plateau. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, so I guess I would say to anyone who knows they want legacy, they want longevity for an organization, they want to have impact um, beyond just money. If they want um, to do right by the people that are in the organization, the people that their organization serves, over a longer period of time if they want to be congruent with who they think they are as a person and you want that to be reflected in your business organization and you don't have to just be the leader when i talk about this. leaders set the tone but I mean everyone contributes to the organizational culture in some way shape or form
1: right which is I think where you lose them because their ego just won't let them say that their ego won't let them acknowledge that that everybody has a valuable contribution they Mm -hmm. they they, again in my experience the handful of people I'm thinking of um, they literally just believed if everybody just did it their way (laughs) It it'd be, would, be it'd a much be awesome. better place. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and it's like, just statistically speaking too, I mean, people are bouncing around on more jobs now than ever before. Right. And so if you want talented people in your if you know you need people to like have your organization go, right. then you need to think about your culture.
1: So there one you. of the things I've started saying recently to folks that I encounter like this is, You can be successful or you can be right. Mm -hmm. Which one? Which one do you want? (laughs) Exactly. They're not, it's like, it's like a marriage. You can't, you, you, it, (laughs) it's not likely you're always going to have both. You're going to, you're going to have to pick one or the other. And if you want to be right, do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. If you want to be successful, then I would suggest we we focus on growing your people and -hmm. and creating a good culture and putting systems in place to let them be successful and taking, you know, giving them permission and the responsibility to speak up when things aren't going well, because they're going to see it. 50 days faster than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the more reluctant they are to that, as I talk to folks about this, the more I say, do you want to be successful or do you want to be right? Yeah, exactly. and, the, and the interesting thing is, is to watch a look on their face when it happens. Mm-hmm. Because when they really co- ponder that and contemplate that, that question, the answer is written all over their face.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they know in their gut and their heart what's right.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay. So we talked about why it matters as far as productivity. 765% higher for... Um, uh, I'm sorry about your microphone. The, the, oh, good. the coaster is not holding it on our our, <laughs> our table here very well. Um, productivity is a big thing. You mentioned legacy. Uh, so that would kind of go along with accomplishing your goals and your mission and things like that. Um, and you also mentioned... Um, people job hopping a lot more now. So I think the last statistic I heard was that the average person who's coming out of school now, let's say, would have something between seven and 12 careers, mm-hmm. not jobs, careers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, for the people who are who are running these organizations they're gonna go to work for, they maybe have had one to four mm-hmm. in their life. It's a, it's a massive, massive difference. Yep. Um, and labor is scarce right now for everybody. People are gonna be job hopping inherently more now than ever before. Mm-hmm. So this is a massive recruiting and retention tool then, right? Exactly right, yeah. So how, how does this play into that? How, I mean, obviously if people don't have somebody throwing chairs at them, they'll be more likely to stay, but what That's beyond awesome. wild examples like that, what what other things would make somebody inclined to stay? Why would they stay?
0: And I don't think it's just a, so I'll, I'll answer that too, but like just to talk about the generational thing too, like I even notice and have seen this be the case even with later stage employees too, They're hopping around a little bit too because employees and companies have generally started to tail back on some of the benefits used to be those golden handshake type things you'd be there forever the retirement things all that stuff those are those are all bleeding away
1: the pensions that are all now going bankrupt yeah so
0: (laughs) those are like companies showing their loyalty in the first place so most employees are like at every stage of their career like fine why am i gonna you know stick around then right so um but so when they ask themselves that question, why am I going to stick around? They have to have some tangible reasons why beyond a paycheck, right? right. And everybody wants something beyond the paycheck. Because then it's it's kind of like that, like hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, well, as long as we have the basic safety covered. But oftentimes these workplaces, we don't even have that covered, right? right? So that's like the the throwing the table or chair thing, whatever, right? That's, that's basic safety. I don't feel physically or psychologically safe here. Right. So I'm going to. Be checked out in some way, shape or form or I'm leaving altogether, yep. right? And uh, so you got to have that covered. And then as we meet that need, then the next order need and the next order need. So a lot of the basics are now being covered because there's far less like jerks like what you're describing. They're still around, but yeah. as a percentage, I think they're dwindling. Sure. And then as people's and then so people's needs are being more met their, their uh, expectations get higher and so we have to meet those higher order needs until we get to the one where it's like we give people a lot of like independence autonomy and help them grow and develop and things like that. That's what people are leaving for mostly more nowadays is like some kind of a connection to the overarching purpose of what's happening there. That's why I call it relationship to the organization, right? Does the organization have my back? Is it, does it want me to grow? Does it want me to, do I have a good relationship with my leader and do I have a good relationship with the people around me? Do I feel like I have a community and a sense of belonging? And do Do I get an opportunity to do work that matters and have impacts? And then do I get a chance to, like, grow and develop over time because we're naturally evolutionary beings, right? So we're social beings and evolutionary beings. So when organizations provide both in some context, even in small ways, shapes, or form, like, people are generally more engaged. Because we're always talking about employee engagement, too, is another big piece of this. But I look at culture as – or engagement is just the – side effect of that relationship people have sure. with the organization, the side effect of the culture piece. So you can't really focus on engagement. You need to focus on the culture. Right. Because people who belong and fit in in that community are going to feel naturally first and foremost really connected into the community if, if like people around them have similar values and thinking and, um, uh, want the same things, are on the same mission, and they have a good relationship with people. They're going to be plugged in, sure. Know? And it may not stay there forever because maybe the opportunities the organization has to like help that person grow maybe do get tapped out or whatever. Like so be it. But at least organizations are cognizant of that, and then people aren't afraid to say that either in an organization. Like it's also still kind of seen as disloyal to say like I'm kind of getting tapped out here for what I can learn. Like is it okay if I look elsewhere or right. something? That's still kind of taboo a little bit, you know. And it shouldn't necessarily be. We should just kind of embrace what this new era is show that transparency to people. Um, And there's lots of different creative ways we can help in accomplishing those two things. I just talked about that belonging and, and uh, community piece and the growth and development piece. There's lots of ways to accomplish that. Right. But that's what we need to be focusing on now because those basic things are starting to get fixed, like the jerks and stuff like that. That's starting to get weeded out as it should have been, you know, should be. Sure. Um, but now the bar continues to raise as it should too, you know, it pushes us up and then everyone else and every generation in the, in the workforce is then seeing, feeling, experience that and everyone's this bar is going up, which is a good thing. In my right.
1: Opinion. So one of the things you said a minute ago was uh, helping folks, grow and learn and, and develop and things like that. And a real life problem that we face as business owners, and this isn't being curmudgeonly, I don't think. Maybe I am. I don't know. You'll you'll tell me if I'm if I'm being that guy. Um, one of the things we face though is a struggle in getting younger folks especially to just show up mm-hmm. and and want to be there. I mean mm-hmm. uh, it seems like now that nowadays the, the push is younger people want more time off. They want more flexibility and all mm-hmm. that stuff, which is okay in some industries. In some industries it's not. And I'm sorry. Yeah. You can't you can't be a CPA who doesn't want to work a lot of hours in tax season, right? Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. So one of the things that uh, I think is a major hurdle for folks in embracing this, whether they're the curmudgeon or they're, they're really w- wanting to, mm-hmm. is the balance of understanding, OK, if I have a person who I, it's a struggle just to get them to want to come to work, mm-hmm. why am I now obligated or have the responsibility of, of helping them grow? Yeah. I can't get them to check the basic boxes, let alone move on to something you know more, more uh, grand or whatever for their careers. Yeah. Um, do you have any, any suggestions on how to either dispel that or acknowledge it and like work through it?
0: I think culture is the key to that as well. And what I mean by that specifically is like, um, so like I said, I talk about leaders and teams and clarity, right? So part of the beauty of like getting really clear about what your culture is and isn't and what everybody's roles are and all that kind of stuff, having it being super transparent, super clear is that then you, people then know and then have to own, their own results and accountabilities for their position. Right. So then it's on them. It's not on you necessarily. So right. it's not like you chasing them down to say, why don't you show up today? It's more like, how's, how's the job going to get done? If you're not going to do it, who's going to yeah. do it? You know, who are you going to have do it for you? How's that going to work? You know, and, and you become just more of this coach and mentor. What's like, this is your accountabilities you signed up for. So you tell me how that's going to work. Right. right? And it's and on I'm, them. And I'm
1: really work. glad to hear that's your answer. And for those listening, we did not, we did not choreograph this beforehand. My my whole thought all along has been, this is the path to getting accountability. Yes, absolutely. And yes. so if, if you're the business owner who's sitting back asking what's in it for me to do this, and you are kind of that person who's like more, I wish they, I could hold them accountable for just coming to work and things. Like, this is a path there that is much more likely to get success for you in this than barking orders and yelling and, mm-hmm. and not even the temper tantruming and things like that, those are extreme things. But just sitting in your office lamenting about how you wish it was different. Yep. <laughs> And the number of hours we waste doing that, of just the frustration of white. So for me, this is the path to that. Transparency is huge. Communication is mm-hmm. huge. Explaining the whys on mm-hmm. things. You know, it's not... People aren't inherently going to know why we need to do this. And if I come ask you to give me a ride someday... The first thing you're going to ask me is, where are we going? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing you're going to ask. Exactly. So why would it be any different for these people who you're telling them to do something? Right. Tell them why. I need to ride at the airport. Oh, okay, that makes perfect sense now. Of course I'll give you a ride. Or no, pound sand, call Uber. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but the fir- if I just called and randomly said, I need a ride, the first thing, the first question is going to be, why do you need a ride? Exactly. Yep. But we forget that when we're talking about somebody else and somebody we're, we're, quote, unquote, paying to do a job and we don't have to consider their their needs and that kind of stuff right
0: and that kind of goes back to that like purpose and meaning all of us want to have impacts right and have like have our actions and our behaviors serving towards something you know that's that's beyond ourselves. every single human beings built that way even the seemingly highly selfish ones or whatever like still feel disconnected and they still want to be part of something bigger so that that exactly provides that for them like sharing the why and the where and all that kind of stuff that's gets them connected into that but the other piece too is like When you truly tap into something like teamwork and really effective leaders, then they're helping you in that accountability piece, right? Right. If you think about the situations where you felt most obligated, or this happens in the military a lot, right? Like if you look at the really elite special force units and things like that, the reason they're so effective and where most accountability comes from is actually from their peers. Right. And... They don't want to let their peers down. They don't want their have their peers become injured or hurt because of them. Right. right. There's an accountability and a unity between them. And so when I go to work with teams, that's specifically the dynamic that I try to create. So it's not about the first place we go when we think of accountability is going to hold me accountable. Right. That's not where I start necessarily. I teach the leaders how to hold, how that encourages the teams to hold each other accountable. So guess what? If you're not going to be here today, I got to cover for you. Right. And now you have more of an accountability to the person who you are dropping everything on to. And if they have a great relationship, then that person can be calling and texting and saying, where the heck are you at, man? I'm not going to cover for you today. Get in right. here. That is way more powerful. Peer pressure because of that social connection that we have. We, it, we are more accountable to peer pressure than we are to authority. Sure. You know what I mean? Like no yeah. one wants to be controlled, but everyone wants to be connected. Right. So I, that's that's why it's part of the process when I address all three, because um, you can't just have one without the other. You know, you, you've got to have really all, th- all three working in tandem together. And um, that drives a natural accountability where it's not the accountability we think of, which is like, you don't show up, you get fired. No, it's not. that's not accountability. That's just moving someone along. Real accountability comes when we have to have a conversation with someone. We have to understand where someone's coming from. We have to involve them in the conversation. We're going to say, okay, how can we help each other? How can I help you? Like, what's going on here? Like, that, that's way harder than saying goodbye. Right. To actually dig deep, get into intrinsic motivation, get into what's going on in someone's life. And right. try to accommodate and try to help them. Um, And, uh, like, what their mindsets are about themselves, like, that is way harder, yeah. you know? You're basically, my wife's a marriage and family therapist, and all this time that I've been at people manager, we compare notes all the time, and there's a lot of overlap yeah. in what we do, yeah, you know I, what it, I mean?
1: It's, it, I, 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 I spend a lot of time with my managers that I'm training to be my replacement someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, I, and I say, I, I, I can't say this is right or wrong, but this is. We're dealing with whatever baggage walked in the door with this person, exactly. and that all happened when they were four and a half years old, and mm-hmm. has nothing to do with the task we're asking them to do today. Exactly. But that's what we're dealing with, so mm-hmm. we can pretend like it's not and pound our fists on the table and say, well, "You need to mm-hmm. do this because." Mm-hmm. But that's not the reality. The reality is, if you want to get something done, you've got to you got to find out what's in it for them, what their why's, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and what they're what they're trying to work through in life. That has nothing to do with whatever their employment is.
0: And then, if you do what kind of a loyalty you're going to get out of that person right someone you actually helped to
1: grow and yeah. to
0: reach a higher level of potential they thought they were even capable of how right. much loyalty are you going
1: to get from yeah, someone yeah it's like tr- that? it's tremendous yeah, yeah. And, and and yeah so you know I don't want to I don't want uh, to too much on on the stuff I talk about so let's get back to your stuff so you mentioned the three areas of focus and there're also three ways to measure your culture that you have currently mm-hmm. and that's clarity leaders and teams so take us through each one of those Cla- let's start with clarity what, what what are you talking about there
0: Clarity, meaning, and we talked about this before we started recording. Clarity, meaning, um, it's it's something that so all three of these things everyone's heard of. These are terms that kind of like culture a decade or two ago were the the hot thing. You know right. What I mean, and then we talked about them for a long time. We burned them out, and so we moved on to a new word like culture. Yeah. yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The problem is, is we never fully. Basically, I look at like all three of those things as the things that are the that are culture. A culture is the umbrella that is all those things. If all three of those things work together, then that's what your culture basically is. And that's why I call them the core of culture. So the clarity piece is about um, the model that I love the most is um, from Simon Sinek, which is that start with why model, mm-hmm. the golden circle, what he calls right. it. And it's, it's a, a framework that talks about the same thing we've had in our organizations for like for decades now, right? Everyone for decades now, people have been adamant about having a vision and mission statement and right. values for decades. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. We finally got those into organizations. The problem is, is that we made them kind of like convoluted, wordy, corporatey, jargony. Yeah. Un, un, no one remembers what it is. Right. Like, and, and
1: you get penalized if you don't remember and you're yeah. rewarded if you do, but meanwhile, it has no real meaning.
0: Exactly right. Exactly <laughs> right. So we did a good thing. We took the first step. Now we need to take the next step was make them actually something tangible, right. actually something motivational, right. inspirational. So that's what I love. Simon talks about. So he talks and, and he kind of reframes how we should think about it in terms of like order and prioritization, basically. So everything starts with that. Why? Why am I doing what we're doing? Yeah. You know, And this is a big why. This is not just like I need to do this so that the customer can give us money. Right. Not quite, that's a little too basic, like bigger than that. Like why did you like the real core intrinsic motivation? Like, for example, with you, I can kind of tell the reason that Uh, culture is really important to you because you've been in a lot of bad ones. Right. And so that's an intrinsic motivation for you. Not to say that's why you have your company, but maybe something along those lines. Yeah, so,
1: I mean, we we started our company um, and we were absolutely going to uh, thumb our nose at these people and show them we could do it better by doing things ethically, transparently, honestly, Mm -hmm. and taking care of our customers and our employees. That what I mean. I could boil that down into a white statement really, really easily. Yeah. But we had a major axe to grind. Like yeah. we were really set out to embarrass these people and say, "You guys have been telling us for our whole careers that the only way to be successful is to is to treat people like this." Mm-hmm. And we're gonna. It doesn't t- matter what it takes. We're gonna prove you wrong. And you did. And, did, and, yeah. and we well, our our in our industry our turnover rate is ours is you know twenty percent of normal wow. of average. I mean, wow. it's awesome. Uh, we you. have you know we have, we have some really good metrics we can look at and say, here's you know. But none of that matters as much as feeling good when I go home and I can sleep, not knowing mm-hmm. that we didn't abuse people, mm-hmm, customers, right. or employees, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've done to um, help that, and, and we didn't have all the sophisticated training when we started. We just had a burning desire to do this, and we yeah. kind of muddled through it. Yeah. But one of the things I recommend for folks all the time is make the word why OK in the workplace. Yes, Because people are so paranoid. If, if an employee says, well, why are we doing this? They get pissed, or they get defensive, or, they, or whatever. Um, that's bad, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and don't be afraid to ask your employees what's in it for you to do this. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I, I spend you know, when we train things we roll new out, new initiatives out and things like that, I spend at least seventy percent of time talking about the benefits of the, of the employee over anybody else. Yeah, forget what I mean. Of course, there's company benefits. Of course, there's customer benefits, but we if you don't get them to buy into it, it's, it's all a big fat waste of time. Exactly. And if we don't address their why, it's it's never going to get done.
0: Exactly, and that's why Peter Drucker said culture, eat strategy for breakfast. You're exactly right. Because if your culture is like incongruent with the strategy you're trying to take or the next goal or whatever, well, then that's why most change initiatives fail, like 80% yeah. or something like that. So,
1: and, yeah. and I'm not saying we're perfect on this. We, Like many companies, we roll things out and six and a half months later, like, what happened to that? <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we struggle with that as much as anybody. We're, sure, we're sure. certainly not perfect on that kind of thing. But uh, your point is uh, clarity needs to explain these things and the why needs to be part of the clarity mm-hmm. and transparency. You've mentioned that a couple of them. times.
0: Yeah. So so the why needs to be at the center of the clarity component, right? And it's gotta be like I said, simple and tangible and approachable. And like I said, mine's pretty easy to remember, right? I want people and organizations to thrive together. Right. So it's about impact. It's so we gotta real boil down mission statements to something different now. And then values, same kind of thing. We gotta get a little more unlike the vision statements with vision, uh, value, uh, statements, we have to get a little more wordy with them because we just put up words like integrity, you know, right, teamwork right, right. and all that kind of stuff. And people kind of scoff at that stuff nowadays cause we don't actually like live up to those things. Right. So we need to actually describe what we mean by those things. And then we need to work on actually, so the next most important piece about clarity is also trying to build out traditions and systems and like things that represent physically, uh, those things, right? Like the why statement, like the value statements. We have to uh, build it into everything that we do, right? And be really intentional about every system that we do. And look at every current system and say, does this actually reflect what we're all about and how we should behave or not? Right. Right? Build it in the hiring system, build it in the firing system, the reward systems, like it should just, those things should be natural extensions of all of your components and clarity. And that's right. the that's the part we don't typically do. Typically we just say like, well, what kind of HR system should we have? Because that's what the industry is. That's, that's is we, the worst thing you should that's do that's what the package like we else. bought said, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is the opposite of what we should do. That's what we're used to, but the, the legal standard is very low, and if you just shoot for above the legal standard and then make your processes unique, your especially people process, but everything else unique to what physically represents, what your company is all about, then you're going to be on the right track. Right.
1: So. so the way I explain uh, what you're talking about, because I'm, a, I'm a, like a visual person, is I tell folks, you create these things, you know, your mission, vision, your core, your core values and your beliefs and all that kind of stuff. And then anything you're going to do has to run through that filter. Mm-hmm. Does this match with this or not? If the answer is no, then you move on to something else. Exactly. Because if you, if you have these supposed beliefs that you post and we rah-rah about and things like that, and again, most people are going to make fun of you for having those because you don't follow them. Mm-hmm. And then you bring on this new initiative that's your new HR component or your new benefits package or your new whatever it is and it's absolutely contrary to what you say you're all about, then it's, you've lost. Exactly. It
0: makes me think of one company I work with. It's a a food concept startup up in the Seattle area. And they brought me in when they were still just a handful of units. And we went through this exercise and and uh, did like an offsite together, two-day offsite with the executive group. And you could just see the focus on their faces afterwards. And they started making like decisions, even in the midst of that weekend, started making decisions about, oh my gosh, like, well, this is what we need to see from our leaders. For example, they clarified the values, clarified leadership qualities. And they said, wow, then maybe this person isn't the person we should work Right. Supporting. We're just going to promote them just because we thought that they're just doing a good yeah, job. right. You know what I mean? And that's what we normally do. Then they just got so much focus and like alleviation of all that like turmoil that goes on our heads of like what's the right answer, and it provides that kind of like um, intentionality for you when you go make that. And then when they had benefits, when they fi- finally started having enough money to make benefits or to give benefits to their employees because they weren't quite that size yet, when they started to grow and they could they started centering their benefits around what their purpose was. And their purpose was to provide healthier options for people so they can live healthier lives. Right. And you might think that could be a gym. That could be all the, the physical business could be all different kinds of things. They just happen to be in the food space. And so for example, what they ended up doing is um, rather than just having cell phone discounts and all this other stuff that's like the typical, they put all their money into having like literally a fortune 500 level of benefits for health related type benefits. So reimbursements for gyms and for smoking cessation and for all kinds of stuff like that which a normal company that size especially the food industry couldn't have been able done or wouldn't do they would just do a little tiny because they would be focused on the cell phones exactly they would just do small amounts of all kinds of different basic rando things you think you need to have because that's what everyone else does right but they meant what they said when they said this is our why so they wanted to help their employees be just as healthy as they were trying to make their customers. that's a
1: great example of that Mm -hmm. running through that filter Mm -hmm. yeah so the next one is uh leadership let's talk about that leaders and leadership yeah, so
0: this is probably one of my favorites. This is where I kind of started off I have that story I shared with you. But um, so leaders, there are basic skill and mindset things we need differently from leaders now that we have in the past, and uh, people are demanding it. Everyone has a story about not so competent leader or not so fun leader.
1: Right? You right. just shared one. Right, Every right, single
0: right. person has one. I've got them. Some people are very fortunate and rare that they had just only phenomenal, only great leaders. mentors. Yeah. 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 That could be possible, <laughs> but it's statistically speaking, it's not accurate. Right. Right? Um, it's something like, what, 75% of people are disengaged at work, and the number one factor of that is managers. Right. right. And that phrase is becoming more popular, if you don't quit the company, quit the manager. It's yep. totally true. And so, yeah, we need something different from leaders. I mean, every statistic, every study is telling us that. And one specific study that I love, and this is where kind of everything sparked the book in the, the Super Manager Academy, came from Google. And they actually did this study where um, they, in the early 2000s, and they're still small, several hundreds of employees, not quite to the thousands yet, they eliminated all managers. They said, we don't need managers. We're, they're a really progressive company. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in the technology space. We've got the smartest, best people in the world working for us. They don't need to be managed, right? Because they're right. looking at this management as a control function, right. right? And so they did that. And within months, the executive leader said, that was it terrible idea what were we thinking right because they got bombarded with people for requests for support and guidance and mentorship and um, interpersonal conflict resolution and you name it yeah and they're like okay we'll bring it back but then years later when they were finally a little bit larger and they had a dedicated people operations team and even within the people operations team, they had a team that did like data and st- uh, statistics and statistical analysis. They went back and studied that question of like, why do m- managers matter, right? And they came back and they came up with a short list of eight qualities that they found. Like, so they interviewed every employee, every team, they compared the best and worst teams and they found this short list of eight qualities. So being a coach, empowerer, um, caring about your people, having vision for your team, Um, being an effective communicator and um, helping develop their career and has enough technical competence to support the team. Right. Those are the eight. And, um, and those are in kind of like in order of importance, right? So they're surprised to see this technical competence at the bottom, it's there, yep. but it's at the bottom. Yep. And so when I saw that list, I started designing a, um, an academy for a, a small franchise group I was running years ago and used that as my training for the skill development for um, all those leaders to build up our bench of leaders. And it was really, really highly effective. And now I offer it up to companies in this part of my, my business. And, uh, yeah, and it just totally transforms how they think about skill development and about um, how, what their job is, basically. You know, it goes from, like, my job is to, like we talked about a second ago, hold people accountable and to um, do all of that kind of thing. Sure. To from that to need to be more of a coach and a mentor. I need to be more of a uh, an empower of people to help them be effective in their roles and things like that. So a totally different mindset than what we thought about what managers should be. Yeah. Basically, since the industrial evolution, we're finally starting to look at this differently. Right. So which
1: which makes perfect sense if you know for people um, who run small businesses, one of the first things you learn early on, hopefully, um, is if you're struggling with something, go find somebody who's been there Mm -hmm. and have, and either pay them or persuade them to walk you through it for free. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a natural, I mean, you, you learn, we all learn by having somebody show us how to do something. Exactly. Uh, again, we lose that, we lose that understanding when we're talking about what somebody else should do mm-hmm. <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh, and before I forget that list of eight qualities, is there a place somebody can go Google that and find that study or whatever?
0: Yeah. So you can find it at my book or you can also actually. <laughs> <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> it's shameless plug uh, on my website or whatever. But you can also find it actually all of Google's research is free. Okay. You can go to, I think it's reworks or R E W. O-R-K dot Google dot So okay. rework.google.com. All free, all the studies, all the research, all the materials. It's even where I started to steal some of the initial stuff to build this yeah. out. But, um, borrow.
1: We'll call it borrowing.
0: Borrow. Yeah, basically. But <laughs> I, I did, uh, gave him credit where credit is due. Yeah, of course. But there was a lot more to fill in basically. So. Sure. So, I filled in a lot more from each of the topics that I knew a lot about, and there's so much that goes into each one. You need know, how to how to effectively empower. That goes back to the clarity components. All these things kind of feed into each other and make each other work, um, because you can't really empower unless you have the clarity component or whatever, yep. right? Um, yeah, so anyway, so those are the qualities that I address in the Super Manager Academy. And what is cool though, I mean, so most organizations, what I would say, like should focus mostly on people related skills when they're talking about promoting people managed, right? And but and also they can and should have their own list too, right? right? It doesn't have to be Google's list necessarily. However, most people. So the exercise to start with when I run a, a super manager academy, is the first question is how many of you had a great boss before? Show the see the hands. How many not so great? Okay, what are the qualities the qualities of each? And no matter what group I'm talking to, you get similar kinds of phrases. Back, sure, right? Of uh, I mean, air force pilots and restaurant managers and you name all different kinds of groups. Same thing because people need the same kinds of things from people who are kind of. In, they're entrusted to, right. right? Or they're they're giving themselves to help contribute towards a mission. So,
1: in in a real life application, people have seen this. No, no, you know, and the and the story is is you know kind of old now, but uh, not a story, but the the example. Um, you have a great salesperson who kicks ass as a salesperson who is then promoted to sales manager, mm-hmm. and they flounder terribly mm-hmm. because that eighth component you mentioned, which is technical support is the least important and that's mm-hmm. what they excelled at and they weren't good at any other stuff and we, exactly. and there's always an example that goes around of why, you know, how bad promotions happen and things like that. And just because you're good at this job doesn't mean you're good at that next job. Exactly. Um, but I yeah, I'm glad to hear that there's a list of those eight things so people mm-hmm. can like like see what here's what the things are and not And not, you know, wonder, you
0: know. And it's not a made up list. What I love about this list is this is like statistically significant. I mean, this was thousands of employees. This is one of the most robust studies about people managers and why they're so important. And then Gallup, that same organization that reports out on employee engagement and stuff like that, they now just recently came out with their own book kind of related to this topic called It's the Manager. And they point out that 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 engagement number that they've been reporting out is terrible for the last several decades of like 74% of people don't like going to work. Right. They said that um, the number one leading cause is managers, and they've proven that out through their studies, and they said that as much as 70% variation in engagement is from individual people manager from people manager, even within the same organization. So yeah, they've they've proven out hand over fist. Like so, they're the next major, I guess, statistical study of of, a, of that scale. Yeah. To prove out that that's how critical managers are that they are your employee engagement drivers, they are your productivity drivers, your turnover drivers, everything. Right. Kind of really falls on their shoulders. So they're such a critical po- component that we need to put more into. Sure.
1: sure. And then the last part is teams. You, you touched on that at the very beginning, talking about uh, creating teams to hold each other accountable and things like that. How, how does what other stuff uh, would would you talk about when you talk about teams?
0: Yeah. So like I said, that teamwork, I think, started maybe in the 80s where we started talking about it um, and it became one of those words we used all the time and now it's still used, but it's still relatively misunderstood because teams is really a relationship of a group of people. Right. And there are some very specific art and science things that each leader and organization can do to nurture the actual relationship of a team and make them an actual high performing or cohesive team. So it comes down to like that accountability piece. And that's actually the fourth behavioral attribute, not even the first. The first is about that trust. And that's what goes back to that great team pyramid we were talking about. I didn't make that up. That was also kind of like Google's thing it was two different people. I just melded up the two. Um, one comes from Patrick Lencioni with the five dysfunctions of a team. That's pretty mm-hmm. well known. And the other one actually is a little bit lesser known, uh, but it comes from Mark Miller, the organizational development vice president for Chick-fil-A. And he has like the three structural components. So there's the community piece he talks about that kind of, to me goes back to the why piece. And then there's skills and talent, right? Got to have the right. right skills, right talent. And then you have to have the sense of community that binds that group. Well then, Uh, Lencioni talks about the behavioral characteristics and that's why I thought these two models went well together so you got to have a high level of trust on the team and that's a that's what most teams never really get that far because they don't start there. And uh, trust meaning you have to feel like you can be completely vulnerable with everyone else in that group and share uh, that you need help or get help or ask for help or um, share when you've been wrong or whatever, right? And be right. just truly transparent. And most teams don't even start there get to that point. Even. So
1: this was what you were talking about earlier with the, the pyramid of, like, you know, basic human needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this that kind of translates to this. So the bottom floor of the pyramid on this is trust because yes. that's, that's what the foundation for everything is. And every relationship is. And, and you can't have trust has. if you're not transparent. And you can't have trust if you don't and have the clarity and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly right. Yeah, so, I mean, every human relationship requires trust, yep. right? Like, I know you've got my back. I've got your back. I can be honest with you. You can be honest with me, right? right? And it's got to start there with a group of people every direction, which is why it's important that team stay small, too, like no more than 12. If you get larger than that, you're, it's not really a team. It's actually like a group. It's a mob. Need, exactly, <laughs> basically. And it's hard to have real intimate relationships at that level right. where you're all kind of around a table and having a discussion or something like that, which uh, then it got to move up to conflict. So typically teams who are on a mission are going to have conflict of ideas, and that's a good thing. I want to encourage that. Many teams, and I've been on teams, I was even that leader at one point where I said, hey, guys, let's not fight. You know, let's not, let's have an argument here. Yeah. However, that's really, that's the meat and potatoes of right. like solving problems, right. you know? And so, um, yeah, they've got to do that. And then ultimately, once they come up with solutions, then they all have got to commit to it. Right. And once they've made that, they have a high sense of commitment, then that's when they can go hold each other accountable. And then accountability just comes down to, hey, we made this commitment together as a group. We all discussed this, like what the plan was, and you're dropping the ball. Like what's going on?
1: You right. Know, that's where the accountability piece So So the, the bottom layer of the pyramid is trust, and then you're going to have some conflict. And then you're going to have some commitment in each one of these categories. The pyramid gets you know narrower, and then accountability, and then results. And like most things in life, everybody wants to just skip right to the results.
0: Exactly, but you can't. <laughs> you can't. Well, yeah. You can't short term. I think we talked about that yeah. right before we got on. Like you can muscle your way yeah. into getting something done. You know, in the short term. Sure. But uh, it's not going to be a very lasting. Right. Um, it's not going to be maybe as great as it could have been. You yeah. Because it's going to be tapped out at whatever your individual discretion is, or individual and, and your capacity, mm-hmm.
1: and your endurance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you know, at some point, you know, everyone wants to retire some someday, yep. and you have to begin turning over things to somebody. And if you built an entire organization ba- based on everybody doing what you tell them to do, good luck. Good luck with that when you're yeah. I mean, you're, 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 the it day now. you retire is you're done. Yeah, you better yep. sell it now. Right? <laughs> Might as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, for those who have uh, either limited understanding or not really sure where to go, of course they need to buy your book, which is called what again? Super Manager. Super Manager. And uh, I'm sorry, the page I had on that I had to put down because it was blown all over the place here. Um, so you can read that, of course. Mm-hmm. and then but th- give give us a couple of like daily weekly exercises that just like if I just put my calendar for ten minutes, if I do this once a week or once a day or whatever, give me give me a couple of those things that, again, for folks who are who kind of get it, they don't really get it. They don't really I mean uh, you know some things when when you're running a business and people explain it to you it's like trying to explain to somebody how to do ballet. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. okay, you have to you just have to, you have to get in there and do it and you're yeah. going to fall down, you're going to break your ankle and you're going to do all that fun stuff, but that's part of the exercise of learning it. So yeah. give us a couple of things we can just do on a daily or weekly basis to to immerse ourselves in this as we continue our understanding?
0: Sure, yeah. So what I would say is, like, so first start with that clarity piece. Am I clear about what kind of leader I want to be? Like, when I went to go fire that person with the story I started with, I wasn't clear about what kind of leader I wanted yeah. to be. Like, you know, be more intentional about it. So start by asking that. Am I really clear about it? Have I written it down? Have I tested it against other people? Whatever. Just really start to think, like, am I clear about myself as a leader, my organization? Are we clear, really, about what we're doing and why are we, where we're going? Just start to ask yourself those questions. If you already have those pieces, ask yourself do we actually live up to that stuff or not um, do I have stuff that's happening with my organization that it's not congruent with those things um, and just ask yourself those critical questions about the clarity piece first right right and that'll start to give you some more like thoughts about that and you'll start to see things you didn't see before if you didn't even reflect on in the first place right, right?
1: and I would add in there this is where I come back to running all the things you do through that filter then exactly once you have your list of your six things or 14 things or whatever you have mm-hmm. then as you're doing your day-to-day decision making if you run it through that filter and you'll see which things stand out like a sore thumb.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And then once you start to do that, everything else can like kind of naturally flow. From right. There. Because part of that might be, am I the leader that I want to be? Are the people on my team getting the leadership that they need? Um, are my teams truly cohesive? And, um, so just by starting asking yourself all those questions and then once you, if you see there are gaps, then, um, with the clarity piece, that's a simple like structural thing with the leadership thing. That's more like, um, you know, how can I be a little bit better as a coach? How can I be a little bit better as an empower? Is there a simple way, kind of like we talked about accountability, We, at first the natural inclination to go first is I need to hold them accountable. Well, first just kind of test yourself when someone brings a problem to you or they they are causing the problem. Then maybe start by just gently putting it back on them a little bit first right. versus giving the answer. For example, if you want to be a better coach or empower or whatever, and just ask them, Um, after you look at this list on Google, you can go on Google and learn a little bit more about it there too. And then just start to ask questions first versus getting direction first, for example. There's all these small little subtle things you can do, um, that most of this doesn't have to require this transformational change everything you do overnight kind of thing. These are small, subtle things. Right. One, One of the
1: best mentors I had, um, very young and, and for those who've listened to this podcast more than a handful of times, I've heard this story, no doubt. My first job as a manager, <clears throat> I was brutal. I mean, I was just I was the worst I ever. Was I, by far, I mean, I didn't throw chairs, but I just I had no fundamental knowledge of how to even do things. I just did what I thought was right, which was often wrong. Mm-hmm. I literally had to drive a, a beater car to work because they would, they would jack with my car while I was at work. <laughs> I mean, it was I was terrible, right? Yeah. Um, but one of the ways I started learning was that when I would take a problem to my my boss. Um, he would then say, "Well, what do you think we should do?" Mm-hmm. And he would do just that. He put it right back in my lap, mm-hmm. and now I'm having to explain in front of him what I think we should do, mm-hmm. and I and it just gave me that moment to think through things a little bit before just doing a knee jerk thing. Exactly. And as I began to just think through things, and, and he would say, "Then okay, well, you think we should do this? Well, how's that going to play out? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, at first my answer was always I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and of then, he was, then he was like, "Well, you know, this is where you need to really start thinking about this stuff." Yeah. And we began doing that exercise, all, of, and that's where I began to learn. And now I would say managing people is probably my number one strength over all the things that go mm-hmm. along with running a business. I think that's probably my wheelhouse now. Yeah. But I came from a place where I was literally the worst. I mean, I I, I was all but beat up, mm-hmm. <laughs> twenty five times probably, because wow. I was just terrible at it. I mean, I, but I had, I had great I had great visions, and I had uh, or, or or great dreams of being successful, mm-hmm. had no idea the mechanics of how to do it, right. just I didn't understand the fundamentals. So, so um, long-winded way of saying I agree that, you know, instead of just answering a question it's brought to you, push back a little bit, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and my version of that was, well, what do you think we should do? And that's what I do now. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody brings me a problem, what do you think we should do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then exactly. they give an answer. Okay, well, how's that going to play out? Yep. How's that going to affect this? Is that, that line with our vision and our, in our, in our why, yep. you know? Exactly.
0: Yeah, because that's how culture is built—like one conversation at a time. Right. You know, it's not—it's not any one big major initiative. It's all these little, small, little interactions that people have throughout the course of the day that shape how they think about things, and it's obviously shaped you, right? Just from the simple conversations that you had with your sure. mentor. You know, so yeah, yeah. yeah, that's all you really need to do is start small. Just start with small, little, simple things. But it mostly starts with reflection and then learning. Right. Yeah. So, like I said, you can go for free to go see Google. You can go for twenty bucks and learn all about this from my book or yep. my class. Super manager. Yeah. How do, how do we get
1: to How do we find your book?
0: On my website, where I am. Amazon, okay. um, but yeah, you. I mean, there's so many, there's so much information out there now related to this. It's more tangible than maybe what it used to be before. But yeah, the studies I share, that's just like a sm- tiny sampling. Like, there's Gallup is massive ton of resources about culture-related stuff. Um, like I said, Google. There's so many places to go just to get a little bit of insight into this. so You can see that there's actually data behind the right. power of culture. So yeah. just go learn.
1: And and to kind of wrap up uh, on this topic, you know, one of the things that business owners and managers are inundated with. Is people selling them an idea that their one thing is the one thing that's going to make your business successful, whether mm-hmm. it's sales or accounting or insurance or um, you know a process improvement. I mean, you name it. There's, there's, we're inundated with things who are going to be the number one thing that's going to that solve our problem. Mm-hmm. I believe that this is. You know, I can make a really good argument. This is this should be the number one thing because this permeates everything else. Mm, exactly right. Um, so. Uh, anyhow, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, again, super manager. you can find it on uh, the website, his website, or on Amazon. And his website is Craig uh, con- excuse me, Craig Consulting Group CCG.com. Or you can reach Devin Craig at 206 450 0501. Devin, thanks a lot for coming in today. I really appreciate it. I really, uh, really enjoyed our conversation. And I hope you guys listening back um, wherever you're at enjoyed it also. Um, uh, yeah, so thanks again for coming in. We appreciate it. And next week, we're going to have on Paul uh to talk about his experience running nightclubs. And when I first wanted to do a podcast, I wanted to talk to somebody who ran a bar more than any other industry because I wanted to know why the hell I couldn't get a drink within 43 minutes when I went somewhere, and so I'm excited <laughs> I can talk to somebody who run, who's run nightclubs, and he's also going to talk about his more recent business adventures, which is uh, um, he now is doing merchant services, and which is everybody knows this can be very confusing and convoluted in their in the way that they all package their stuff and things like that. So he's going to shed some light on merchant services for us, as well as give us his background with. Uh, Uh, running nightclubs and all that kind of stuff. Devin, thanks again for coming on. That's all for today, folks. Thanks a lot for listening, and I'll talk to you all next week.